You're listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I am here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to have you today. It's good to be here with you. Man, it's been a while. It has been a while. It's been a few weeks. Our last episode, we talked about what is Calvinism. And, you know, it, it was an episode. Got into a little few heated conversations on Instagram. It is what it is. Well, that that podcast was worth two. <laughs> so. we, had to take, we had to lie low for a little bit. And lay low, um, but but you know we we have a, we have a couple weeks have passed. A lot of things have happened. Um, President Biden was hiding documents. Um, the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, as as all, as all presidents do, as all presidents do, the Kansas City Chiefs might have rigged a game. The NFL might be rigged. Well, I I've never seen more favorable referees. In my life, it, I just, <laughs> except for at Laker games, except for a Laker. Game. <laughs> I just want somebody to love me like the refs love the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the difference is that maybe the the refs love the Chiefs, but the NBA loves the Lakers. So I feel like the the whole system is is geared toward the Lakers. I, I don't. But you're saying the NFL, loves the Lakers? I, I, They've had I, five oh, games well, blown on final call. I think people hate the Lakers now, Dad. I think people hate LeBron. Like hate LeBron. I think LeBron is loved for his individual greatness, but not necessarily his team greatness. Yeah, you know it is unfair that LeBron didn't get that foul after he took four steps in that travel. Oh, LeBron, LeBron. <laughs> I went back and just kept watching it going, how many steps are you allowed to take in the NBA? so crazy. I didn't realize the NBA was becoming an elderly sport. Oh, now I'm not going, you're not going there with me on, on the line here. Like, hey, he's still putting up 40 a game. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, yeah. 40 yeah, a game I, I, against the Orlando Magic, Austin. Wait a minute, how old is uh, Tom Brady's? 46? 40, no, he's like 30, yeah, 45, 46. 45. But he lost his wife. He lost the real Super Bowl. That's true. But I'm going to make a prediction right now. Make the prediction. Tom Brady is going to the San Francisco 49ers. That was a hot mess in and of itself. Let's get, let's, we're going to hold off on before getting there. We just got back from a All staff right. retreat, which I'm not bitter about. I was supposed to be in Paris at Fashion Week. But you told me, hey, I need you to come. I need you to be a part of the team and hang out with everybody and give your insights. And I'm grateful that we, we did it. We went to Palm Springs. And was it Palm Springs? We went to the desert no. Somewhere. We went to Indio. Indio. Mm-hmm. It yes. was not my favorite, but I really, really, really appreciated the time with the team. And that was fun. And that was great. And you – it, it was it was so and much you fun. sat us down and you did a few days of seven frequencies work working on our communication skills. yeah and that, that was really fun i have never really taken a group or a team through the seven frequencies so our team was the guinea pigs and we spent three days going through the process and it was so it was so much fun but it was also insightful and if it, it was incredibly bonding like I felt like it really bonded our team together to um, to help identify what our frequencies are, to begin to talk about what that means in relationship to other people, and and just to feel seen. I think was pretty significant. It's really significant. I think you diving into each one of the seven frequencies and kind of breaking it down—that was kind of your initial thing. And then you had it was a really fun exercise. You had us all basically you pick, you would pick a person 
It would kind of sit in the hot seat. Mm-hmm. We would guess what we thought their top seven frequencies are in which order. And then they would guess mm-hmm. what they thought their frequencies are. And then we, you would basically tell us if we were right or we were wrong based on the, the, the knowledge of, of, you know, your relationship with that person. And it was, it was really interesting how the perceived room, the room perceived that person versus the person perceiving themselves and the journey of, of that. It was really, really fun. One of my favorite moments um, was when one of our young guys, Luke, looked over at me. We're sitting at the kitchen table while you, you were breaking someone down. And he goes, man, I didn't realize I was surrounded by a bunch of commanders. And he was referring to, to me and Austin. And I looked at him and was like, yeah, because you are one. <laughs> <laughs> Only commanders survive. And, you know, if you don't know what we're talking about, a part of um, – our masterclass course, which is the art of communication, second kind of installment was called Seven Frequencies. And it was this uh, seven frequencies of communication where we break down the type of communicator you are and really like transfer that over to what kind of leader you are and how you can lead through your your preferred communication style and how to use different kind of communication styles in your favor and your advantage to how you lead the room. It's kind of crazy how accurate the assessment is and how you can group think when you know people decently well, the way that people speak, the way that people lead and how important it is because we've had so many breakout conversations since then, or, you know, been having conversations with leaders or, 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 or different guys going, okay, this is the way you're leading. You're leading like a healer. I need you to lead like a seer, or I need you to, you're leading like a commander telling everybody what to do, but I need you to actually start challenging the way people think. And it really has given us, a language, a new language to really interact with our, our team, which I think is really special. So, yeah. And I want to come back to um, you more specifically, Aaron. So maybe you could pull up your seven, but like a couple of little practical things I saw is we have one guy, one guy in our team named Aaron. Now, not you, the other Aaron. And on Sunday at Mosaic, he did the best job he's ever done on the stage. And I don't know how many years he's been on our team. I mean, I've known him since we were in high school. So I, I forget when they moved. Yeah. yeah, Mariah has known him since probably like junior high or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, so like or, 12 or 13. And, and, and he's been on staff maybe five years. But I've never heard him on the stage speak at the level of connection that he spoke the, the Sunday right after the retreat. And he sent me a note saying, I always felt obligated to speak like a motivator or a challenger or a seer, but I'm a healer. And when I was able just to tap into my healer frequency and have confidence that that was the frequency from which I should actually stay on that platform, it just really like empowered me. And, and what's really so wonderful on top of that is his wife sends me a note saying, uh, thank you so much for investing in my husband. He's been transformed by this process. And, and, and I think that this, what I think is wonderful about the seven frequencies is it's just not a utilitarian process that tells you how you communicate or are understood or heard by other people. It really has an incredible way of connecting people and, and healing relationships and bringing understanding and, and building your confidence and, um, and, and elevating your your effectiveness so that's been so so much fun but Aaron I thought since you know you're here we should probably have a little conversation with you 
about your frequencies? You know, was there anything about the seven frequencies that surprised you about yourself? I'm trying to find my frequencies. It's on a group text with the, the team. Well, if you don't remember them, I haven't memorized. No, so. no, no, but actually, it actually gave us the number. <laughs> no, so because like we actually did something really unique. We built out an assessment, like uh, a communication assessment where you answer questions. I think it's like 30 or 40 different questions. And it basically grades you and helps you understand what your top frequencies are. And then we have been working on the process of like how to make this assessment like really fun. And not so much the Enneagram, because I think the Enneagram is telling you your personality. What is curious about this is this is really something that you match up with environments. It's how do you behave and engage in certain environments? And and how do you communicate in those environments is really important. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, I, and as you find that, I think one of the difference would be, let's say if you take something like the Enneagram and it showed you how all nine of them operate in your universe. That would be closer to what the dynamic is here. Uh, I think the difference between a personality assessment is they help you understand that you're one and then there's nuances off of it. Um, like with the Myers-Briggs, you know, if you're an ENTP, that's what you are. You're an ISTJ, that's what you are. And and there isn't really a, a spectrum on which you exist. And with the seven frequencies, the ideal, you know, if you want to hit the 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 ultimate human experience, is to be able to access all seven frequencies and use those frequencies in communication when they're most effective and most appropriate. And that's when communication becomes most powerful. So back to you, okay, Aaron. So I, all right, you pulled so yourself. we took this test, and you know these numbers are arbitrary right now, but it basically grades us in like the highest scores that you have, or kind of your your top two, top three. And then grade it all the way down. Mm-hmm. These numbers are arbitrary, but it, it'll give you an idea. And I'm going to go highest rank to lowest. So my commander and my seer are the are my highest scores at 30. They tie. And then challenger is 27. And then motivator is 22, which is very unusual for me, I think. So I have my top three, commander, seer, challenger, and then motivator is my fourth. Yeah. And then, and, and this is on a scale of 30, by the way, everyone listening. So you were 30 out of 30 as a commander and 30 out of 30 as a seer. And in so many ways, that gives you the construct for a visionary leader. Um, and in your healthiest and most positive expressions, you cast great vision and you, um, you gain great respect. People trust your leadership and will follow you and you're, um, you're confident and you speak with authority and you are more likely to tell people what to do rather than to ask them what they want to do. You're not a consensus seeker as a commander. Uh, you're a direction giver. I don't, I don't, I don't need, I hate asking the room. Like if I ask the room what they think, I've already decided what I want to do. Like there's, I already decided before I asked, I just want you to feel involved. And then I find it a part of, that's part of leadership. <laughs> I find it a part of the leadership to like, I've got to convince why I think this is the right one and, and not to make the other people feel like they're wrong, but to go, okay, if I believe this and I think I know the right path to succeed, I have to convince the room to, for them to come with me instead of just telling the room to come with me. That makes sense. Yeah. But I've interviewed the people who work around you, by the yeah. way. Interrogation. I didn't mention that to you. Interrogations. What? No, no, I just I just interviewed them and asked them some very, very nuanced questions. Like? And one of the things that was really interesting was they, uh, across the board, people say Aaron's very strong, but he's incredibly open to input. 
And if you give him a better idea, he'll change on the dime to that better idea. So even though you're a commander, um, the people who work with you actually feel like you're incredibly responsive to input. I, I want to be proven wrong. Like how I respect people is by being proven wrong. If I, I don't think I, I don't think I know everything. I just know that I have an ability to learn things and to find holes in arguments or in like logic when it comes to solving problems. Like I love, so you must have what you must have great respect for me. I have so much respect for you because you know how to do almost everything better than me. Right. But like, it's a part of the a core value that's been a part of our team for a long time is, you know, I, 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 someone called me this week and was like, Hey, I would love to work for you guys. I was like, perfect. Put together a proposal um, of how you would do our jobs better than us. And they were like, well, that, that, that kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. Like I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way. And I said, if you rub anybody the wrong way, they're not meant to be on the team. Because you can see the team in a way that we can't see the team because you're fresh eyes. So every person who gets onboarded or on ramp to your team, I always ask them the first six months are the most vital because you can tell us everything you think we're doing wrong. It doesn't mean we're doing it all wrong, but you're going to see the things and go, okay, I don't know why we do it like this. Or I don't know why you guys do it like this. Or, hey, what if we do it like this? And I was like, as long as that person postures themselves in a way where they're asking questions and giving active feedback in a healthy way. Versus like, I can do this better than you guys. Well, I'm like, cool, do it. I hate consultants who, who don't want to do, they just want to tell. Yep. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, when it comes to being a commander, though, me and Austin had a funny exchange yesterday and I screenshotted it and sent it to you, Dad. Because <laughs> I was, I was. I wish you could put it on the screen. Wait, I bet Austin could. It's more on Austin <laughs> if he wants to share it. But I, I was texting Austin. Texting, no, that's fine. Me and Austin were going to a meeting yesterday and he goes, He'd asked me, um, like, do I want a coffee? And I was like, sure, thanks, bro. And then I said, send me your address, please. And I, but I send it like in short form, like I create a different language. It's all commands. <laughs> send me address, please. And then actually, you didn't say please. You added. I please. added please on the next line. <laughs> Those were separate messages. They were. They were. They were. <laughs> and then I, and then he sent me the address. You, you said send address. And, yeah, I did. And then, and then a <laughs> Parentheses. I said, I said less commander, like, and he responded, ha ha ha, you're good. I know you, ha ha. The please is always implied. I said, if I didn't respect you, I would just wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> I thought Austin said something about it. he he knows how to interpret. Well, he does. I said, <laughs> I said, if I didn't respect you, I never would talk to you. Crying face, but I'm working on it. And he said, so true. You're good either way. I've become fluent in translating commander over the years. <laughs> but, you know, and this is, a, this is an interesting thing because Austin is a commander. Yes. He's only having to translate what he already is. But here's the interesting thing about commanders is that if they're under someone and they respect that person, that person takes command, they won't rebel. Yeah, they they respect people who handle authority yeah. well. They will only be rebellious or insurrectionists as commanders if they feel the people over them are incompetent, indecisive, or um, lacking leadership competency. That's another thing that I say. And I want to know how you feel about this, Dad, because I get really upset when young guys aren't trying to take the person above them's job. <laughs> it's like... I 
when I came, I was hungry. I wanted to take everyone's job. And I told I told the guy. You, you want my job really I bad. I did. I told you. If I'm not here to go to the top, yeah. I, what am I doing? I'll go work in a restaurant. <laughs> so you can get to the top <laughs> there. Get to the top there. Head chef. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. <laughs> but I, I do think there's something but, to say about people who have that you know that drive in them so but you know is that healthy is that a healthy or an unhealthy mentality in leadership and with teaming like do you want people to ruthlessly be going after people's jobs in like a work ethic type of way no i want people to ruthlessly make their boss successful because that's how i know how to promote someone because if they make the people over them successful and make the people under them successful, I can trust them with anyone. You're, you have a much healthier core in which, your, in which your, your well of life springs from. Mine's a little toxic. <laughs> but, uh, and you have to realize there are some people who are, um, they're really happy being number two or number three. Like they're really happy being on the team and being an important aspect of that team. And they don't want your job. They're glad you have your job because you make their job possible. Mm. Yeah. I always, I always, you know, we were, we were having this conversation because we were talking about how to be, you know, we've always had this conversation on creative teams, like how to be more, more, how to be more hands off. Right. Like, mm -hmm. especially when you're dealing with creatives, especially when you have guys who are just naturally really gifted and, you know, one of our one of our awesome guys on our team is just you know Austin's naturally gifted, you know Luke's naturally gifted. We got some guys who you, they don't really have to play well with others because they don't really need others <laughs> to get stuff done. Like they can just do it, you know. And and so you know we were walking through that principle of like this is why it's important for you for a commander to also hand over command to other people and watch how they run mm -hmm. the show. Watch how they take the ball in their hands and, and do something with it. And then reviewing back with them because, you know, and I was saying this to one of our young guys and he was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do it. You know, like he's, you know, he's being sarcastic. He'll do it. He does it all the time. But, you know, we were laughing about it. But I'm like, because when you get to a certain age and you realize, like, it's not just about the work that you accomplish. It's about the work that the people around you accomplish. And success isn't just your success. It's, it's just the success around you. Right. You know, I always look at people yeah. who make people successful around them. And are you able to do that? Or is your success non-transferable? Yeah, I think unhealthy people focus on their success and their success alone. No, but I think some gifted people like don't know how to make other people successful. No, I said I didn't say gifted. I said unhealthy. No, I know. I but do, I was no. saying from like it's, a gifted perspective, a difference of leaderships just shift. Yeah. I just think that, no, it's, it's some people aren't gifted to elevate other people as well as other people. Like some people, they're like um, MacGyver. Was it MacGyver? They're like MacGyver. They, they can fix everything themselves. They can do everything themselves. They're like a, a little, you know, they're, you know, inspector gadget that they can fix everything, but they're not good at transferring it. They're not good at training or mentoring uh, coaching, developing other people. It's not that they don't like people. It just isn't in their toolbox. And it's, it's so hard for them when you say you need to build a team. They're like, I am the team. <laughs> you know? it's crazy. And, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard. And you have to realize that there's some people who are specialists. And when you try to make them a generalist, um, you move them into failure.
So I think, and I think we've, we've, there's two things I want you to open up on being a specialist and a generalist versus a generalist and why it's important to have both. And I think the, the larger you grow in an organization or a company, you need more specialists. In the beginning, you've always told us you need a lot of generalists. You need a lot of people who can carry a lot of weight and do a lot of different things. And then how you, but how do you really tr- transform? Uh, how do you really transition from going from a generalist heavy team to a specialist heavy team and having both generalists who are helping specialists succeed, and specialists really coming alongside the generalists to to thrive. How do you do it? Yeah, well, the people who survive long term, they they're able to flow between being a generalist and being a specialist, being a generalist and being a specialist, and they realize that at different levels of growth, and you have to take on a different role. And so there are times when you know when I first started. Even when you first start a business, you're, you're the generalist and the specialist. You're everything. And you're having to do all the work. And, um, and you realize that after a while, oh, I'm an overpaid secretary and I'm really bad at the job. <laughs> so I, if I keep paying myself, I'm paying an unqualified person to be the administrator. And, and that's when you, then you hire your specialists. And but it's, it really is as you grow something, especially if you're an entrepreneur, it's about letting go of the things that need to be done that you did because they had to be done, but you're not the best person to do it. And then you have to find other people. The challenge is, is if organization keeps growing and growing and that person wants to be promoted, let's say you have um, an administrator who really wants to be the CEO one day, the chief op- operating you know, officer, but, but they're only really gifted in being a specialist and they're not gifted in being a specialist. And so you can't put them over the entire operation of the company because that would require someone who has specialist knowledge, but a generalist skill set. And, and that's a really challenging thing. That's why not everyone who's an administrator or not everyone who's a financial person or not everyone who is a communicator or not everyone who is a marketer can keep elevating because they're, they're so... Um, their identity is so entrenched in being a specialist that when they're a generalist, they feel that they've lost their, their hold on things. And, and here's the key from internally. If your internal satisfaction comes from doing it yourself, you'll be a specialist all your life. If your internal satisfaction comes from uh, celebrating other people that you've developed doing it better than you, then you can actually excel as a generalist. And what I find a lot of times psychologically, it's not the skill set. It's the psychological limitation that holds people back. It's, uh, I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that Austin has all the intelligence, skill set, talent to be a specialist and a generalist. He has to decide whether he'll develop the psychological construct of a generalist where he begins to take 10% of his specialist time and make it generalist. I'm going to find people, invest in them, build them up, grow them. Then 20%, then 30%. And if you keep doing that, you find yourself one day at 90% where you're the generalist. You're actually just building up people. They're doing a better job and it's a multiplied job because 10 people can do more than one super talented person. And, and then you may be doing 10% from a specialist aspect whenever it's a special situation or unique contract or project. Okay. That's interesting. So I have another question. 
How do you make your success transferable? That's such a good question. And I, 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 this is something where I could say that's been one of my values for probably 40 years where I told myself my goal isn't how many books I write, but how many people in my life get to write a book and probably, you know, maybe 10 people that I've mentored have all written books and, um, and it matches the number of books I've written, which I've written 10. And, um, you know, you might, you might measure, okay, my success is how many platforms can I speak on rather than how many people can I develop that actually get invited onto platforms? And, and I think those are, it's, it's, they're really measurable so that you can actually ask yourself, what are your internal goals? Are they all about you or are they about the people um, in your life around you? Hmm. And I think that's one of the ways you make that shift is you, you shift your goals. I mean, one of the things I love about um, our friend Edwin Ariave, uh, who's the president of Skyline, is, you know, I watched this huge shift in his life uh, in the last two years where he said, my goal was always to be wealthy, to be a millionaire. But now my goal is to have the company that raises up the most millionaires of any company in the world. And it's, it's such a beautiful shift. And he's uh, fast tracking on the way to having a lot of millionaires who work for him, which is kind of crazy. They have employees who are millionaires. Wow. And, and, you know, and I think way too many CEOs are so focused on themselves becoming a millionaire and then themselves becoming a billionaire and don't actually think systemically of how do we create a culture of success. Mm. It's a great, it's a great insight. Building a culture of success. Do you, because one thing I noticed, you know, in, in the history of you building different things is that I don't know if your success is transferable because what you do, we talk about this a lot. You have like a magic that's, you have a spirit about you that's genuinely really unique. And it, when someone comes in to try to do what you do, it doesn't work, you know? So how have you found yeah. that being unique? How, how, have you, how have you found that? Obviously, that's a unique situation where you're a communicator, you're an author, you're a creative, you know, and a lot of, like, you, we collaborate, Austin collaborates, mm-hmm. but I don't think I would say I'm, I'm like, uh, you're still doing it on your own. You just decided to bring a team with you to, to do more. That makes sense. Yeah, I think there's two sides to that. One, I don't find life to be very much fun without a team. You know, and I know you and Austin are way younger than me, but I just really enjoy doing life with you guys. I like doing projects with you guys. So I, I love when we took Austin with us overseas, even though he crashed and burned on us after a few days. Well, and, it wasn't um, his fault. That was all the other projects we had to do in the middle of the night. Yeah, well, <laughs> and uh, I can't help it if the man requires sleep. That's, that's, that's a weakness he's going to have to deal with over time. The, the backstory <laughs> to that one was, but I don't want to cut you off too much, but uh, right when we got to Europe, we had this Europe trip planned and Austin's coming with us and we're documenting and we're doing battle readies overseas. And some of them are on our YouTube right now, which is pretty cool. Uh, maybe we can link to them. Um, and at the same time, MSC decided to do a live recording while we were and prep it the entire thing while we were away. <laughs> and most of that stuff would go through Austin and I and another uh, girl named Tess. And we were all, you know, we we're all in different places. So me and Austin, we would finish our day with, with you, Dad, where you had spoken at night, every night. Then we'd go to dinner, get back around 9, 30, 10. Maybe I was like the earliest. And then me and him would jump on a series of phone calls to like three or four in the morning. 
And I knew it was bad because I, I, we were in, I knew it was bad when we were in Amsterdam. Like it started bad in Sweden when we were just up all night and having to work and having to constantly be on calls. But we were in Amsterdam. And we were shooting battle we shooting battle readies. So we we're doing like three jobs at the same time. <laughs> and we both fell asleep in the bright, like the loud, the brightest, loudest lobby in Amsterdam. And I just look over and we're both just passed out. And he's across, and we both have computers on our bodies. And I like woke up and I woke him up and was like, yo. And then I called my dad. I was like, I think we might kill Austin. <laughs> we gotta give him a break. He's gotta go back to LA and solve all these problems for us. Well, the funny part was that I think when I got to LA, I got even less sleep than I got on the trip with you guys. Cause I was here until like five, six in the morning with Michael Schultz working on stuff. It was. Oh my gosh. You know, but, but going back to that, um, that question, I think one of the hardest things that I had to process in my own, um, leadership and my own personal life was I always had an honest, sincere perspective that I was ordinary. And so that anything I could do, anyone else could do. I thought anything that I learned, anything that I did, any skill I developed, that it would be 100% transferable because if I could do it, anybody could right. do it. And, and so I, I created my whole world around that belief. And it took me a while to recognize that that wasn't an accurate assessment of reality. And, you know, there's, there's an aspect of that that um, I hope it was like genuine humility, but it also can be incredibly devastating to the people around you. You know, it's, it's like Pavarotti thinking everyone can sing opera and, and then holding people to those expectations and then feeling like if you're not singing like Pavarotti, it's because either you don't want to, you're not motivated enough, you're not committed, you're not disciplined, you're sleeping too much, you know, or whatever it is. And one day you have to realize, oh, maybe I have unique gifts or a unique something, you know, a magic in a sense, you know, that isn't transferable, that is just God-given, and that your job isn't to transfer that. Your job is just to make it a part of an environment where other people can benefit from what God has made you. And so I, I had to make a shift in that and go, okay, I can't think that developing leaders is developing people like me. Developing leaders is helping people develop into the person that they actually are at the highest level. And I really like what, um, is it James Clear says in Atomic Bombs, when he talks about his baseball career in college, and then he says, you know, and he talks about all of his achievements, which were amazing. He goes, and he goes, now let me just be really clear. I never made it to the pros. I wasn't that talented, but I achieved something really rare. I achieved my full potential. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, it was like a light in my head going, yeah, that's, that's when you find fulfillment. And that's, sometimes it's really hard to convince someone, if your happiness is based on fulfilling my potential, you're going to be very unhappy. If my happiness is based on fulfilling Elon Musk's potential, I'm going to be unhappy. My happiness has to be like, in, in that sense, connected to fulfilling my own potential. And as a leader, you're dysfunctional when you try to make everyone like you. 
I think you're healthy when you try to help everyone become the best version of themselves. It's so good, right? I think, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a huge, there's a huge testament to the culture that you've built and that you don't build a culture of replicas just like you. I think the healthiest times at Mosaic or on our teams, uh, what is that book is called Atomic Habits, not Atomic Bombs. I'm sorry, Atomic Habits. Atomic, <laughs> awesome. atomic Habits. Atomic. Well, you know, they are atomic bombs in your oh, head. They pff, just blow you open. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just finished it earlier today. So um, it'll just, It's good. It's a, yeah, it's a good book. I really liked it. No, I think I think one of the things that I've learned so so clearly and I've watched people really fail at trying at making the attempt to trying to be like you. And really, like I I realized early on, I'm like, okay, I'm his son and I'm probably the person most like him, and I'm so different than him. And it's okay to be different. And we would argue all the time. You know, because you'd be like, Yeah, I need you to do it more like this. And I'm like, well, I can't. I'm I'm gonna try. I've done 10 years of just trying. <laughs> But really, like being 34 now and being able to be a part of a team in which we accomplish a lot and we see a lot of success, whether you're the front face of it um, or we have our own individual successes, it's something that I, I gain a lot of a lot of joy from, you know, because I think like the longer I live, the less I go, I, I'm more secure in who I am. And I don't, I don't think I worry about who's seeing me do things well, you know. We were talking about this in a, in a car ride and we were, you know, we were talking about success with a few friends and, and I told you about this later, dad, and we're driving from dinner and we're all crammed into this little car and they're all talking about all their nice cars that they, they have. And, and he's like, what are you driving? I was like, I don't have a car. I sold it. <laughs> and he's like, why'd you do that? And I was like, cause I just didn't want my success to be measured on what I drive to work. I want my success to be measured based off of not just how successful I am, how successful our team is and can we reach new goals and new heights together and i think we tend to get caught up especially young people that tend to get i spent my 20s trying to figure out like what is my thing that i'm going to be great at and i was like oh don't worry so much about um what it is just start trying to be the best that you can at everything you're doing and and start the journey of learning like if i had just locked in on specific areas of my life and just gone I'm going to I'm going to just suffer through the misery of this. I'm going to really be in a lot of pain but I'm going to learn a lot of things and and real and grow in 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 the brutality of growth, right? Like I think the the worst thing you can do when you're in your 20s is get ahead of yourself and put these mm. like undue pressures on yourself to be something you're not yet and that you won't be yet and that you can be if you just get out of your own way. Um, mm. So yeah, I don't know where that started or where that ended up, but I would say this, the, the, the most successful people who are around you are the people who learn from you and make it their own, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, I think that almost like the best way to approach me is the way I approach other people is I don't try to become just like someone. I try to find the unique thing about them that resonates with me that I feel like I should add on to my life. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know there's a spectrum. There's some things I admire about people. I just can't be that. It just doesn't work for me. But there are things I admire about people. And I go, oh, that kind of resonates with me. I think that if I honed it in, if I really took on some, some strong patterns, habits in my life, I could actually develop that as a human being. And you have to find things that actually match you. 
really, really well and resonate with you. And in that sense, I feel like I'm the universe of so many people that I've admired in my life. So many people that I've I've either read their books or watched their films or you know seen their work or interacted with their lives or watched them in business, and I, I just absorb all that and just um, become more because of those people in my life. And I feel like that's the contribution I can make in people's lives is if there are certain attributes that I have that you go, oh, I really I really admire that attribute and I want to take it on in my life then like let the magnetic force of that attribute in my life pull you up and pull you forward and until it becomes like your own and i think that's that's the power of of communal growth and and i i've always b- believed that that we 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 actually do become more and more and more a reflection of the community that um we bring close into us um and you know, you, you get around Austin, you you, you know, you, you can't help but become more visual, right? You, you know, and and to see things in a frame, and and there's a beauty and elegance to the way he sees things. You and, think like, you think you like know, a cinematographer, yeah. Like and and you want to, yeah. like you go, oh, I want to, I want to pick a little bit of that up, <laughs> you know, and uh, you, you know, and you start seeing you around photographers, you're seeing lighting differently, you know, you. You know, and you're when you're around um, like compassionate people, you begin you begin to become more sensitive yes. to the realities of what people are going through around you, and and that to me is so powerful is that we can absorb the goodness from other people and make it our own. Mm. I love that. I love that. I think there's something to be said, right? Like you know, to finish up this conversation I had with Luke, we were laughing because you know after. You know, I think it's okay that I share this, but we were talking about it afterwards and, and his seven frequencies and talking about commander. And, and, and he's like, I didn't know I was a commander. I'm like, yeah, because that's, what, that's the thing that we liked about you is that you have this, like the swag, the thing that you, you want the ball in your hands. You want to take the photo. He wants to design the next thing. You know, it's hard for him to let it go because he knows he's gifted and he, and it's not even about the gifting is that he knows he's willing, he's going to do the work to be gifted, to be great. And he wants, he doesn't want to miss a step on his journey to greatness. And, you know, <laughs> and I think there's, there's something to that, that I like, I just, I desire that for young people that like when given the opportunity, you jump in and, and beg for the, 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 the time you beg for the extra time, you beg for the extra space. Just give me one more play that I can run that I can be a part of. And, and that's that kind of person. Right. And I think, you know, the beautiful thing about this, the seven frequencies is that really it's just, it's just the can opener, you know, and it's just like this <laughs> lens that you're able to kind of like, what are they, when you like those, this, when you're going to get your eyes checked and they just try all these different lenses on you, it's kind of that thing. You're looking at life through a healing perspective. You're looking at life through a commanding perspective or through you know, a visionary perspective. Um, and I find it interesting. And I do think, and dad, I want to ask you this because your seven frequencies, your top are seer and maven, which is kind of this, can you walk us through the difference, like a visionary and then a guy who brings paradigm shift to people's worlds? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was um, actually pulling some, some thoughts on it earlier today in my notes. I'm just going to pull up some, but because I, my number one is uh, Maven. That's my highest one. The next one is a seer. 
And, and they may seem identical, but they're very, very, very different. Can you explain? It, it's, there's a radically textured difference. The maven part of you, and I, if I could say maybe the most blunt, crass way possible, a maven cares about ideas more than people, and a seer cares more about people than ideas. It's if you nuance it. Now, I'm not saying I don't care about people. I, I have both of them really, really high. But but when you're a maven, the idea is like a person. The, the idea is the universe. The idea is reality. The idea is what compels you. And you might even be seen as disconnected from people and disconnected from reality and disconnected from the outside world because this internal world of the idea is so compelling. And mavens shift paradigms. Seers don't always shift paradigms. Seers create a beautiful image of a great future or a better future, a more compelling future. But it's almost as if a seer is grounded and then takes off like an airplane. But a, a maven comes from out of space and you don't know where the idea came from. You, know? yeah, so you, don't, you don't know. I think you're giving elaborate metaphors and it's more confusing. Um, that's because I'm a I maven. So and so it's, it's harder to be understood. So like to put it real, because we have these two groupings of, of commander and challenger. Commander is someone who, you know, yeah. can you explain the, difference between, the differences between commander and challenger and then seer and maven? But can you just use it in the simplest, most practical form. All right. Let me try to speak in a frequency of which I do not speak. <laughs> and uh, um, there's two of the frequencies are motivator and challenger. No, no, commander and challenger. And, oh, commander and challenger. That you want a difference yeah, between. Yeah, yeah. A challenger calls you out and a commander tells you what to do. And so it's like, and I, I had these one word statements for them that I sent you earlier today or earlier, I think the other day. Yeah. And it, here it is a motivator. One word inspire a challenger. One word is provoke a commander. The one word is to tell the healer. The one word is to soothe the professor. The one word is to teach the seer. Their one word is to cast, the word cast what? but the maven, the one word cast vision, okay. you know, and the seer, their one word is to shift. A seer is trying to, a, a maven is trying to violate your view of reality. And a seer is trying to paint a beautiful picture of a new reality. And so when you're around a visionary, a seer, you're, you're, you're pulled into a great vision. When you're around a maven, you're going, I don't know if I understand what he's saying, but I definitely don't agree. Yeah, we, we released, we released a, a, a reel on Mosaic in like collaboration with you over the weekend. And it was like this crazy, we used this app that did like a 3D image processing. We recorded you and then we like, they edited it. And it was like this really cool thing that they kind of built inside of this app, which is sick. They used this quote and I was like, mm -hmm. I don't understand what this means. Like, I don't even think it actually means anything. It was just like, a, it was like an interesting... <laughs> <laughs> you know and 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 this is like this is what i do love about our culture is that like nothing's sacred except the things that are sacred so like you do things with respect but you kind of can you're allowed to ask questions you're allowed to bring these to the table and i said it's like hey guys i love this clip but like it works well with with the really futuristic you know 3d processing 
But like, can anyone tell me what it actually means? <laughs> you're talking about metaphysics. That's funny. I want to see. I want to see the statement. You, you well, you're in it. What, one of the things for me is like, if I'm watching a movie, I think the Sears movie is Black Panther. It's like this vision of a extraordinary civilization of an incredible future of a new humanity. And the movie for a maven is inception. What does that mean? And what is real? <laughs> and, uh, and what is true? Okay, what is a, what's a movie for, for healer? All right. So the, my movie for healer, I know it's going to sound odd. It's saving private Ryan. So why? Because you're willing to go to war because you're willing to go to war against the whole world to save one person. Okay. Mm. okay. The whole movie was literally about saving private Ryan. And at the end he says, make it worth it. Earn, earn it. it. He says, earn, earn it. it, earn it. So he gave his life to save one person. And that to me is the healer frequency, even though it's, it's said in the war, but for a healer, the world is at war and everyone's wounded, broken and hurting. And bleeding. Interesting. All right. Want to give you other movies? All right. Motivators movie. And you guys, man, send me your own. My motivated movie is Guardians of the Galaxy. Everyone's feel good. No. <laughs> what is that? What? No, it's like, like everyone's a good guy almost of all the good guys. Like, you know, there's just this incredibly inspiring, encouraging. You know, Chris Pratt is just, you just got to love him. You know, he never says anything negative. Even in the worst situations, he's optimistic. You know, he it's like he's going to wear a shirt that says positive. He's like, like John you know, Gordon, be positive. Stay positive. Yeah. My challenger movie is Creed. Why? I don't see it. What do you mean, why? You don't see it? No. There's a. This kid with a chip on his, you know, shoulders and because, oh, you know, his dad oh. wasn't there for him. And now he's got to become the greatest in the world, but he's got to fight for it. And he's got to he got to decide whether he's willing to pay the price. And he's willing to breed and uh, bleed. And, and, and it, that the creed, it's the creed. Just it makes more sense. Austin, can you see it? Can you see creed? I, I think when you say it inspirationally, it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't see All right. My commander. My commander movie. All right, send better movies. Send better movies. I will. I will. Right, Aaron, what do you got? My commander movie is Godfather. Godfather. Mm-hmm. Godfather. You come to me. You come to me in my home and disrespect me like this. Yeah, I just think it's the best commander movie. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, it's all about authority, about honor, about command. You don't ask. Even when it's an ask, it's a tell. Hmm. Even if it's a suggestion, it's a command. Hmm. I just would like for you to consider. You know, I'm going to give you. Um, what is it? Uh, the voice, like I'm, I'm, I'm irking inside. No, no what, what is it? Oh, I'm going to make you uh, that you can't you refuse. You can't refuse an offer. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. That's just absolutely commander. And um, and then my professor movie, and I know you're going to hate this one too, Aaron, because you've hated everyone I've given so far, is uh, is Goodwill Hunting. I like it, but I'm going to I'm going to match you. It's it's Dead Poet Society. Oh my goodness! Oh my captain, my captain! Oh, wow. oh. It's about 
it's it's about the beauty of teaching someone to fall in love with something that is foreign for them. All right. All right. I accept. All right. I'm paper, you're scissors. Yeah. I'm rock, you're paper. You got it. All right. Got it. Um, okay. This is fun. I like this. I like this conversation. And I, I'm like excited because we're building this assessment and we're going to release it. And I think it's going to be pretty like user-friendly. Um, we sent it around the office and had everyone kind of do it. And people were sending it to people and I had to shut the link down for a little bit. <laughs> it's getting out of hand. And I was like, we, this is just the, 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 the demo, the beta. We got to really get into it a little bit more, but hopefully that comes out in the next like month or two. Really excited about. So we'll keep you guys updated. It's gonna be so good. Um, okay, can I shamelessly plug our Patreon and then we can get out of here because we've been doing this for about 45 minutes? All right. I think we've been going longer than 50. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. I'm so grateful that you guys tune in each and every week. Thank you for being patient with us. Uh, for everybody who is just finding our podcast or have been with us for a long time, we are so grateful. We have a few things that you can jump on. We have an Instagram. Uh, it's the Battle Ready Podcast at Battle Ready Podcast. We have a Patreon, which you can just go to um, our website, battlereadypodcast.com, and there's a link for Patreon. Essentially, we do some private episodes. We're going to do some live episodes. Gives you a chance to just be a part of supporting the, the, uh, the podcast, keeping it ad-free, and just you know getting to, to dive into a, a deeper community. Uh, we've been talking a lot of the seven frequencies and the art of communication when that's a masterclass that my dad created along with 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 our team um, who were able to support him on that. And and it's really been amazing. It's been amazing to see it. If you're a pastor or you're an organizational leader or you're a business leader and you're like, I need the seven frequencies for my team, reach out, DM, email, ch- uh, check in, and let's figure out a way to get this thing all over the world because I want you guys to do it because it's so much fun. It's so interesting. And it actually is life-changing, especially in uh, times where you, you really got to lead and help people understand leadership and communication. I am going to sneeze really, really hard, but we're going to edit it out. And then we're going to write reviews. We're going to subscribe to the YouTube. And then we're going to see you guys next week. We love you so much. My name is Aaron McManus. and I'm joined here with my dad, Earl McManus, and our producer in the booth, Austin St. John. We love you guys. See you next week. Love you guys.